Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show all about building and investing in companies, featuring interviews with startup founders, investors, and operators, sharing the best insights into the world of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Joe Mahavutavani, co-founder and CEO of Mythic Markets, which is an investing platform to buy, sell, and trade fractional shares in rare pop culture collectibles. Some examples of some sold-out items on their marketplace, one being from Marvel Comics, The Amazing Fantasy number 15, the first appearance of Spider-Man. The offering amount was $92,000. Shares are $46 each. Another example being from Magic the Gathering, Alpha Black Lotus, the greatest magic card of all time. This offering amount was also $90,000 at a share price of $45. And you can get started investing on their platform for as little as $30. It's quite the interesting company. Had a great time talking with Joe. As always, these show notes are justgogrind.com slash podcast. And you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. Without further ado, here's Joe from Mythic Markets. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about your company, Mythic Markets, uh, because there's a, there's a lot to discuss here, and it's a really interesting model you're using. So for people who don't know what Mythic Markets is, can you tell us a little bit about the company? Sure. Uh, in a nutshell, we turn high-value collectible assets like vintage comic books, collectible cards, fantasy art, and things like video games into, into publicly traded companies that uh, anybody can invest in. So we break these things up into uh, shares and um, uh, allow people to invest in small fractions of a much more expensive uh, asset. So that's um, hopefully that was clear enough. Yes, yeah, definitely. And it, there is such an interesting uh, story behind this. I know I would love to hear the beginning. How did this get started in the first place, Joe? So um, let's see here. I mean, at the very beginning, um, I mean, I guess I, I've been, as it turns out, investing uh, ever since I was a kid. Um, I'd been playing this uh, collectible card game called Magic the Gathering uh, since near the beginning of its uh, its life in 1994. I had started in 1993, but I started in 1994 and um, had been collecting for about uh, seven or eight years. Um, and, you know, it, it was it it was the original um, trading card game. Uh, and I had you know built a collection up to at the time it was about, uh, you know, five thousand dollars worth. And, uh, and, you know, I would take my deck around and leave it in my car and, and, you know, meet up with friends and stuff. And, uh, well, my car ended up getting stolen and uh, along with it, my collection. Jeez. And, um, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I missed the card too, but, uh, the cards I missed a lot more because, you know, since then, uh, the cards have, and, and especially during COVID, it's probably like doubled since then. Um, but at the time, uh, you know, as of like a year ago or something, there were about a million dollars worth of, uh, of, of magic cards. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, that's, uh, uh, that kind of bummed me out. I'd, I'd been wanting to bring the collection back together for years, but it got, you know, really expensive and practical life got in the way, et cetera. And, um, and, uh, you know, really just got a kind of got out of my capacity at that time. And so, uh, you know, the, the game's only gotten bigger since then. The, um, the cards have gotten more expensive and, um, and, and, but, but there's millions of fans worldwide that care about this stuff. And it's not just, you know, magic cards, but, um, so, so ultimately I, I, you know, uh, you know, started a career in, in tech and, 
um, you know, one that transitioned into venture capital and, uh, you know, really saw the opportunity to uh, turn these car, the, these, these collectibles into an investment. And so, um, uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately, like, that's kind of how we ended up here. Yeah. And from that as well, then, so I know you mentioned before we started this interview, uh, being in the investing side, how you, you love that as well. Why leave investing to start a company? Um, really, I mean, I think like it's been something that's really been in my, um, in my DNA. Um, my parents were uh, entrepreneurs themselves. And so, um, you know, it, and, and I had been a previously been a founder. Uh, and so it just, you know, I think, you know, the opportunity to build something from the ground up and, uh, uh, you know, really pioneer this, uh, this, this exciting new space, um, you know, was something that I couldn't couldn't pass up um you know it was really uncomfortable uh of course uh, but life begins where your comfort zone ends absolutely with this as well though then understanding that this is a whole new ball game in terms of this this company you're, you started what were some of the first things you had to do to really get this thing rolling well i mean for one as a fintech company and, and as many fintech companies kind of encounter there's a lot of regulatory stuff that you kind of go with uh got to deal with um uh, you know, lawyers are really expensive. Um, you know, building a team obviously like is, is, you know, a really core piece of the startup experience. Um, and so I would say like, you know, building a team, um, you know, getting, you know, uh, validation around the idea, um, raising money, uh, and that sort of thing, um, are all, uh, things that kind of go through my mind, uh, as I was, or went through my mind as I was kind of like starting this thing and, and really, for anybody building a startup, that's that's sort of um, probably at the forefront for a lot of people. But uh, yeah, so I mean, I, I think those are probably things that uh, were occupying my my <laughs> mind at the time. I want to go through one of those things: the team. How have you gone about building the team? Who you looked for to to join you on this this journey to start Mythic Markets? Right. So gen- generally, like when uh, starting these kinds of things, um, you know, you look sort of within your network and. You know, fortunately, especially having um, grown up in the Bay Area and um, lived in Silicon Valley, uh, you know, pr- more or less my entire life, um, you know, we look toward the people that we worked with, the the people that we've gone to school with, um, and and that sort of thing, uh, and then also friends of friends uh, to to build a team. And so, uh, you know, the 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 nice thing about what we've what we're building is that. Um, you know, everybody is a fan of something. And so for the people on the team, you know, we, we looked at, uh, uh, I mean, fellow, fellow, fellow geeks at the end of the day, (laughs) and we're all, you know, really into, um, you know, our favorite fandoms. Uh, but, uh, you know, sort of the, the tie that all binds is that we all went to, to school together or, um, uh, went to school in the same, same area, San Diego. And, um, uh, and that's kind of like how we all know each other. So the team, the founding team really has known each other for between uh, 10 to 20 years, depending on the relationships. Um, and so uh, that's something that really has kept get to kept us together, especially during this um, sort of quarantine time while we're working from home and closed our office and things like that. Yeah, which has been such a, an adjustment for many people in terms of figuring figuring that out. How have you navigate that going from you know working in an office to then working remote? Um, yeah, that that's been really tricky, uh, and as it, I'm sure it has been for everybody. 
uh, you know, so we we had uh, actually two offices in the Bay Area. Um, we're, we're, you know, have been mostly distributed from the start. Uh, but I mean, I think that it's really difficult to build a team if you're not all together in the same in the same room. And so for, um, you know, a while before everything kind of like really spun down, um, we would actually get together either at each other's, um, you know, homes or at, uh, at, at the local mall actually to work in the food court together. Um, you know, <laughs> aside from saving money, like it, it, it was just a great opportunity to, um, you know, get, get everybody together and kind of continue building that camaraderie. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I would say that that works well for the, um, the, the early team and people who've known each other for a really long time. But as we've added team members who are sort of outside of that network, it, and, and, you know, not just that in different time zones, um, it's become more and more challenging to do that. Uh, so, you know, something that we're all trying to get used to, um, as this, it seems like becomes the, uh, the, the future of, of work, but I, I'm a, a bit bearish about that future. Um, I, I think that uh, a lot of people are um, itching to get back into the office. Yeah. And it's, it's from talking to someone before I'm trying to think of who it was. I can't remember the top of my head, but I talked to someone, another founder who was saying that, you know, this current kind of remote, or I like the word that Matt Mollwig mentions as distributed, <laughs> distributed work, workplace and workforce. It's not, normal yet though because even if it, this was quote-unquote normal times and people were working in a distributed fashion you don't have like like all the coffee shops open and all these other places that are open that are typically you know a, a change of pace from work even if you were working from home or working from other locations so it, it's really not a true indication of what this even looks like but i also agree with what you're saying of it, it's not going to be just distributed there's going to always be offices and that side of things as well. People want to hang out with other people. Go figure. Um, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I mean, I, I miss happy hour uh, for one. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I think like part, a big part of my job uh, is to 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 network and um, spend a lot of time with other founders, um, other other teams um, to you know constantly constantly be be building that network and. Um, and so as somebody who's an extrovert who gets energy from being around people, this has been really challenging for, for me personally, um, as well as the rest of the team. Uh, you know, they call it work from home, but really it feels like living at work. And yeah. it's a really great way to burn out, um, you know, really quickly. Uh, and so we've really tried to, um, you know, give give the team sort of the... Um, uh, the flexibility to, I mean, not just like, you know, work from home, it's, it's fairly flexible, but really encouraging people to take, take time off. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, you know, one thing about, uh, you know, uh, I actually relocated during, during this quarantine, uh, from the Bay area to uh, Las Vegas and, um, you know, have, have flown the team out to, to Vegas to, um, you know, not just get a change of scenery, but also for us to, you know, be together and work together. So that's, um, that's been, that's been kind of nice. Yeah, nice to be able to do that. And even again, going back to because I just listened to this interview, probably uh, Matt Mollwig mentioning with with WordPress and Automatic, this, his company that he that he started and runs, that they flew people out. I think it's like three times a year, even though they've they've been distributed since the start. But three times a year, get people kind of all together in order to have that camaraderie, kind of team building, understand who your team actually is, and meeting in person. There's so much value that comes from that, and I think it's important to have that. But it'll be fascinating to see 
in the next year, two years, three years, how this shift goes and how it changes in terms of kind of future of work. Uh, I'm excited to, to watch and, and take part in that as well. And going back to mythic markets, one thing I want to I want to talk about. I'm curious about the actual marketplace itself. How are you deciding on, or how are you figuring out what products, what actually goes on this marketplace where people can invest in? Yeah, so um, for our marketplace specifically, um, you know, we target what we broadly call um, fandom collectibles, um, and fandom is is pretty broad. I mean, it really could be, um, you know, uh, it could be anything. But I mean, I think the way that we sort of narrow things down uh, for us today is, uh, you know, anything that you might find at Comic Con. Um, not sure if you've been to Comic Con, but um, uh, you know, it's sort of uh, expanded beyond just comic books. Um, there's just a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of things related to pop culture, really. And so um, uh, that's kind of where we have niched um, our business. Uh, but, uh, you know, there are, you know, fandom is, is super broad and there's tons of opportunity to um, expand beyond that, um, especially as the value of uh, collectibles and, um, you know, other other assets have been skyrocketing during uh, during quarantine. Yeah, and with that as well, with the value of these different kind of, of alternative investments or different asset classes, even like where do you see this going in terms of how this this market actually looks like? Obviously, you're taking a part of that being being in as the collectibles that you have mentioned, but where do you see this market going, or how do you see this kind of evolving over time? Yeah, I mean, I think that. Um, it, it's really kind of TBD. I mean, you know, these assets have really turned into these collectibles really have turned into assets. And, um, and I think a lot of people are sort of bracing themselves, like, especially during, uh, you know, this COVID times, um, you know, for, I mean, getting out of cash for one. Um, and so, uh, we've been seeing a lot of, um, uh, a, a lot of movement in terms of like the the p- price appreciation of this stuff uh, during this time. Um, it, it's it's really difficult to say, uh, but I mean I think f- you know we as a team for one are bullish that uh, this stuff will um, continue to hold its value and appreciate. Um, you know a, a, a great example is um, you know like. Comic books, for instance, uh, comic books are an asset class that um, have been increasing for years, especially as uh, you know the uh, superhero film, film genre has become really, really popular. And um, and and so you know a great example is like Wonder Woman, the original Wonder Woman. When Wonder Woman came out, um, the, actually just prior to the book, uh, you know, was probably a twenty or thirty thousand dollar book. And, um, you know, since then, uh, uh, since the movie came out, it's about two months after the movie, the original movie came out, that book shot up to about $930,000. <laughs> and so like, that's due to the fact that like, suddenly you had, you know, billions of people who were now fans who were, who are aware of, um, the importance of Wonder Woman. And so, um, you know, you see, we saw that for, for Black Panther and Infinity, Infinity War and, and a lot of these other characters that have been getting, um, their own films and becoming more important important in pop culture, and so uh, you know I, I think I, now that Disney owns everything, and for actually just recently announced like ten new films and shows that are going to launch on uh, Disney Plus, I I don't see that 
um, you know, going away anytime soon, especially as uh, we are all craving, you know, new forms of, you know, uh, entertainment and frankly, escapism. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we definitely are, especially now. And we'll see again how that how that changes. One of the things I'm curious about, too, is with with this company, you raised in 2019, a couple million dollars, then how has the fundraising side of things gone for Mythic Markets? Uh, so, I mean, once at, at the beginning when we were getting start, started, um, it was actually pretty tricky to raise because this is a new, um, you know, sort of non-obvious market. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was just, it was just something that, uh, wasn't very clear. And even today is still kind of new and weird for a lot of people. Um, uh, and so, you know, but yeah, at the time it was it was really difficult. Um, uh, you know, it took us about ten months to kind of bring that first the the first money together. Um, but uh, when we raised our Series Seed, um, it was a little bit easier. You know, we had a lot of inbound, and um, uh, you know, coming from a background of venture capital, it it helped to have some of that uh, those existing relationships to be a known quantity. Um, you know, as we kind of go forward, uh, you know, I think there was the concern that uh, there'd be a tightening down of uh, fundraising during um, the COVID times. But uh, as it turns out, there's tons of dry powder. There's a lot of bullishness about, um, uh, you know, fintech and investing in general. Uh, and so, you know, we intend to go back out into the market probably in the next quarter or two to uh, bring together our Series A. But, um, you know, I, I think that uh, uh, we are optimistic that we will get something together. Um uh, but, uh, you know, with fundraising, you, you can never really tell. <laughs> yeah. And for other founders who are kind of early stage or even raising their first funding, anything that is particular, particularly helpful or any process you used that was helpful in terms of actually being able to raise. And obviously you had been an investor, so you had some of that experience, but I always like to be as valuable as possible for other founders. Anything particular in the process that was helpful? Um, yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, leveraging your network obviously is like super important. Um, another would be that like, you know, what something that most people don't realize is that it is a full-time job. Um, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's, you have to kind of like hit it super hard um, and uh, really commit yourself to it. Um, you know, uh, another, uh, another part of this is that um, uh, I think most people, I think it's really helpful for founders to realize that it is kind of a sales process. And for anybody who, who's been through that sales process, like, you know, keeping track of uh, interactions, like who knows who, like what, what part of the, the sales funnel you're at with uh, uh, any particular investor, um, uh, you know, it, it, you know, it, it's true for sales. It's true for fundraising. And as it turns out, it's very true for, um, you know, things like PR and everything as well. So, um, you know, really treat it like a sales process. With this as well, when you decide to go for it, you obviously decide you want to launch this company. How did you actually go to market with Mythic Markets? How'd you launch? Yeah. So, I mean, we, we believe that, you know, very much early on that, um, we needed to, uh, you know, build trust with the, uh, with the customer base. And so we partnered early with, um, uh, you know, people who are, 
um, sort of influencers and authorities in the space. Um, and so, you know, in our case, you know, we, we decided to start with uh, magic cards, uh, uh, specifically with an asset called the, uh, the Black Lotus, which is sort of the, the rarest, um, one of the rarest magic cards that, uh, uh, and certainly most recognizable magic cards that there is. And so, um, you know, we partnered early with a company called Channel Fireball, who helped bring us to their market. Um, and they are, uh, you know, a major player in the space. And so we were really able to bring it to um, their audience early. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, I, just, you know, really leveraging um, existing communities and networks online have, has you, been a big part of that. How did you prioritize those in terms of who you want to target or who you thought would be the best ones for you? Um, you know, I, I guess it's more of a question about like sort of the, the fandoms that we want to target. And for us, it was really what we were familiar with. Um, and so in my case, you know, being really familiar with uh, magic um, and being close to like comic books and that sort of thing were, were where we decided to, um, to, to start, uh, you know, especially when considering like market size uh, for uh you know, various fandoms, um, you know, these were the things that uh, were, were growing at the time. And, you know, comic books are another one that are, you know, continuing to uh, to grow during this time. But as it turns out, like during um, um, the last, you know, nine months or so, uh, you know, Pokemon, for instance, is another one that's been blown up. And so uh, that's another one that we're looking at. But um, yeah, we've been in, in, in uh, you know, magic, comics, uh, video games are coming next. Um, uh, fantasy art is another one that we're really excited about. Um, so yeah, sky's the limit. Yeah, there's so many so many options you, you could have, and you've, I mean, from looking at the website and everything as well, looking at like for instance the 1994 booster boxes, fifty five thousand, the the amazing fantasy Spider Man ninety two thousand. The prices with these, how are those determined? What are some things that go into that at least, or, or the actual? I'm curious about the more of the the business behind that as well. For sure. So, I mean, a big, a really important part of what we do is uh, curation and uh, pricing. And so, um, you know, in terms of curating, we look at, uh, uh, you know, uh, the 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 appreciation and sort of performance history of of these assets over time, and we uh, aggregate as much data as we can that's publicly available uh, for for the sort of price history of these assets. So. We look at like eBay, Heritage Auctions, um, PWCC, etc., for uh, you know past sales of um, of these assets, and uh, and and that's something that we chart and we kind of like try to find a sort of trend line uh, and figure out like what the value is today at the time of offering, and that's kind of how we price because you know we we try to provide as much tr uh, price transparency as possible for um, you know some of these uh, you know non-population of one assets for the things that are you know unique truly unique and you know is a is a unique example of something um that becomes a little bit trickier um and we kind of go from uh you know we we obviously can't find direct comparables except sort of the the, the sale history of those particular assets like art's a good a good example of that but um uh we look at the uh, you know, sales of l similar assets um, as as comparables. And then for you, then on the marketplace side of things, your business model itself, just taking a fear, how does that work in terms of the business model for Mythic Markets? 
Yeah, so um, you know we do bake in a sort of a sourcing or acquisition fee into each uh, public offering, um, and uh, you know we are are uh, uh, currently not taking any other fees, um, actually absorbing a number of fees, especially on sort of the the legal and compliance side, and um, you know we're going to be launching trading pretty soon. Um, and, uh, you know, we, I think, but ultimately our business model is going to revolve around, um, sort of a premium subscription model, uh, you know, and we envision it to be similar to like Robinhood gold, um, where, you know, uh, subscribers will you know, have commission free trading, uh, pro trading tools, early access to the IPOs, uh, and, and things like that. And then, and then with the company as well. So that's kind of what the future looks like. And I know you mentioned how you how you went to market and partner with different people. What's kind of been fueling the growth, or how have you looked at more about getting the word out, customer acquisition side of things uh, as the company has gone on? Yeah, I mean, I think um, you know we've tested uh, a number of channels in terms of like sort of paid advertising and things like that. But really, at the end of the day, the thing that has um, you know, been the most successful channel has been, um, you know, word of mouth and tapping into existing, uh, existing fandoms. And so we're really excited to work with, um, you know, a, a number of partners that, uh, partnerships that we're, um, you know, discussing right now and, uh, uh, you know, tapping into the, the, um, you know, large existing, uh, networks and fan bases and, um, you know, customers of some of these partners. And so, um, you know, I, I think like those are the opportunities that we see as, uh, you know, being able to grow very, very quickly, um, uh, you know, through, through relationships and through partnerships. And then with this as well, what gets you most excited about working with this company? So, you know, I, I've been, um, you know, sort of a fan of uh, a lot of, uh, you know, a number of different fandoms for, you know, for my entire life. And so uh, for me, the thing that, you know, gets me excited about this is that I get to work with not just um, the types of things that I would love to own myself um, and being surrounded by that. Like, you know, one of the the things that I kind of fantasize about is being able to go into our vault and, and, you know, see all of our stuff just kind of like on the walls and stuff and kind of spin <laughs> around in a, in a, in a uh, desk chair and just be like, wow, like look at all this cool stuff. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, for me, a lot of it is being able to work with, um, you know, great people and people that I've known and had relationships for a really long time. And we enjoy each other's company, not just in the office or, or on the team, but also outside of work. And so, um, you know, I think, you know, there's an opportunity that we're all chasing um, and we're doing something that we love with people that we care a lot about. It's funny you mentioned the you know, spin around and see all these, you know, different collectibles or other things. I used to work at a company called Clark Toys and we, yeah, we sold sports and kind of uh, more pop culture collectibles. And and so that was for when I was in Las Vegas, that was the company I was working with and we were, we were doing that. And it was so cool to see them in the office when you see all these different products that, you know, exclusives we created and all these different things. And every day you're working, you're just like, oh, that's the stuff we're working on. And like, it's so fun and exciting to do that. Another thing as well that I haven't mentioned is I collected sports cards for a long time. And I still have, I think, many of them. So I'll have to, I'll have to look back at, at which ones I have. I know so there's some Jordans in there and some other ones that are 
potentially better. But when I was a little kid, I used to uh, trade sports cards. And I remember trading at one point in time. This is a long time ago, but it was trading for like a Brian Urlacher rookie autographed card. And I remember selling it on eBay later. I was like, whoa, this is amazing. I can like make money from this. And so I'm very interested in what you're doing. And that's why I was super excited to chat with you about this. And for you then, I know that's, you know, kind of gets you excited in terms of the, the company as well. In terms of the other potential things outside the collectibles you currently have, anything in particular you're most excited about coming up or uh, things you'd like to see on the marketplace eventually? I know that there are, um, you know, some, there there are certain assets that I'm excited to sort of bring onto the platform at some point, um, and they are in our pipeline. Uh, probably the number one thing for, well, there's like maybe two things actually. Um so, uh, so, so, sort of on the uh, magic theme, um, and you know, I, I've been a fan for and, and a player and investor in this stuff for years. Is the yeah. original art for the Black Lotus, mm-hmm. and so some, that's something that one of our partners, um, you know, has in his collection and wants to offer on Mythic, and uh, you know, that piece in and of itself will be about six and a half million dollars, um, and uh, that's something that we're really excited to um, to uh, to to bring on. I know that when we were originally um, sort of documenting some of these things for the collection, um, you know, just kind of being in the presence of that was, you know, would, would send chills down my back. I mean, it would just be like, whoa, um, I'm in the presence of this thing that I, that millions of people care about. And this is the original painting of it. Um, And, you know, I think aside from just being a fan of the game, really drove an appreciation of the art as well. And uh, art is a big part of, um, of, of that particular game. Um, I, I would say that that'd be probably number one. Number two would be, um, as a huge Trekkie uh, Star Trek fan, um, you know, one thing that I would just be over the moon to be able to bring into the collection is, uh, is something called the Reskin Flute from uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, and uh, that's something that is, you know, really important to the story of um you know uh captain jean luc picard uh, mm-hmm. who's the, the one of the main characters or the main character of the next generation um and uh uh you know the the best captain of them all uh i'll, uh, I'll fight anybody who's who disagrees <laughs> <laughs> um but uh, uh that, that's something that would be incredible to bring into the into the collection but i mean there's no shortage of of things out there that um you know, are important to uh, to the fandom and to millions of people that uh, we would love to we'd love to acquire. Today, Joe, in early twenty twenty one, here, how is your time mostly spent with Mythic Markets? Um, so a lot of it is, I mean, uh, as the CEO, I think um, you know, I think it was Fred Wilson who said that the CEO really only has uh, three jobs. One is to um, you know always be selling. Uh, you know, and so uh, that's something that has been a little bit trickier in uh, in quarantine days, just because um, that a lot of that is just sort of being out with the people, um, you know, at, at conferences, at at various shows, etc., to um, continue to be like to to sell actively. Um, you know, the second is uh, to always be hiring. Um, another challenging thing with um, you know, sort of COVID, but, uh, you know, something that we do, um, you know, we adapt to and, and do through within our network or uh, through referrals and and, um, and and that sort of thing. And then the third really is just like, don't run out of money. And so fundraising, again, <laughs> is is something that um, has been, you know, I, I can't imagine what it'd be like if, if you don't have that existing network. Um, 
uh, today because before you could go out to, you know, various events and meetups and um, conferences and things like that and, you know, create opportunities to uh, to build these relationships. And that's something that's gotten really, really difficult uh, right now. And so, um, uh, you know, I think I, I spend a lot of time with that. I spend a lot of time with product, but, you know, just trying to do adapt as much as possible for those, those primary things, um, doing it online and over, you know, Zoom and, and all the things that uh, we call Zoom that aren't Zoom. But um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been challenging. With that as well, I mean, what helps you get through the, the most challenging, most difficult days of running a startup? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that like, uh, uh, having, I mean, you never, you never check out really, um, you know, from, from a startup, but we, we do our best. Uh, you know, for me personally, I've been, I've really taken to, um, you know, hobbies, uh, you know, one thing that I've been, um, you know, really kind of, uh, spending a lot of time with is exercise. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think during this 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 last year, almost a year, uh, I've lost. I've been exercising every day um, and have lost about seventy five pounds. Whoa. And uh, uh, congrats, and so, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, and, and we've really expanded that to the team, and, and collectively we've dropped um, about one hundred and fifty pounds together. Uh, and so that's kind of something that we we do to you know keep the team. Um, you know, give the team a break, uh, do something together sort of outside of the, the quote unquote office. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, that's something that I've kind of gone way hard into, um, (laughs) and has, you know, been, I've never felt better, like in terms of physically. What does your routine look like? Or what are some of the things you like to do? Yeah. So, um, so before, uh, you know, relocating, it was, um, uh, and, and even now, uh, so 100, 100 pull-ups, 100 push-ups, 300 crunches, um, 100 curls, 100 overhead presses uh, between one and like six hours of cardio a day. Um, you know, I've converted a uh, exercise bike into a desk. Uh, actually did about two and a half hours of that yesterday. Um, I'm, I'm climbing now. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, just, you know, and, and also just eating better, um, cooking a lot more. Uh, and so, you know, all of those things sort of combined have, and, and you know, incrementally over over the last, ah, gosh, it's been like eleven months now, almost. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, have have been huge contributors to, um, you know, weight loss and and fitness and and uh, uh, you know, for all of us, you know, we we've fortunately our team has been receptive to the exercise thing, um, and uh, you know, for most of us, it's been um, you know, body weight exercises just because it's been really hard to come by exercise equipment and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, that's been, if you get, if you get more into it, I've had, uh, Josh Clemente from, from levels really looking at this kind of health and blood markers and everything about nutrition. That'd be interesting to check out. And then Matteo Franceschetti from eight sleep as well was on the, was on the show. And if you want to improve your sleep, uh, their smart mattresses, not, well, not cheap. They're definitely have people rave about them. And I've, I've, uh, had on my, on my radar to get one 
for a while now, and I think I'm getting close to that point. But if you're always looking to kind of improve your health and fitness, those are two, a few things. And I actually used to be a, a personal trainer, have an exercise sports science degree undergrad. And so, um, yeah, there's a lot of things around that that could be helpful. But I'm, I'm glad to hear you've, you've taken control of that. And I think it does lead to a lot of different changes mentally when you take care of yourself physically and even just the mentality of, of working out and being able to get through different difficult times and everything is really helpful. And I love hearing about people read or what they listen to or things that they consume. So any particular books that have been helpful for you, whether, you know, business or just kind of personal that you've enjoyed? Uh, admittedly, I haven't done a ton of sort of book reading uh, during this time. Um, I think that, uh, uh, you know, certainly reading a lot of like sort of blogs and, and, and actually listening to tons of podcasts, although that's been sort of um, uh, sort of reeled in a little bit as well because you know for me a lot of you know that reading and podcasting and stuff like that happened during the commute and so now <laughs> my commute has like everyone's commute probably has you know shortened to whatever the di distance is between uh, uh sort of the, the desk or home office and the bedroom um and so there's just not a lot of time to to <laughs> do that um not not that there's not a lot of time just not a lot of um <sighs> I don't even know how to describe it, but the routine has been shaken up so much that it's, um, uh, for whatever reason, uh, I haven't, I haven't done as much as I would have liked. Um, yeah. Yeah. It does change things when your routine is completely thrown off because of this. It's like this, there's this, yeah, this built in time you had to either think, ponder, do nothing or listen to podcasts or, you know, scroll, scroll through Twitter or something like that has been replaced with just, okay, here's your time. It's back. But now what are you doing? And you're just filling it with other things that, uh, you know, you're answering more emails or whatever it may be. Um, any, what are your, what were your favorite podcasts or some of the ones you were listening to though? Uh, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I love planet money. Um, you know, I, I, you know, listen to, uh, uh, 99 percent invisible also um the i was a huge uh love line fan in the past uh you know growing up uh so i i still listen to sort of the adam and drew show um adam Carolla and dr drew mm -hmm. and uh uh you know so so you know those are the types of things that i have um uh that i'll put on you know while while cooking now actually so it's um you know cooking has has become sort of my new kind of commute and um you know, and now, it's, and I'm a little late to the game for, for this one, but, you know, recently started to learn how to bake. So, Ooh. yeah, that's... Uh, well, what are you baking these days? I'm curious. So, the you know, the first thing I did was uh, focaccia. Um, and uh, I, I'm not quite sure how, if that turned out well or not. It, it became more <laughs> of a flatbread, uh, if I'm honest. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think, like, uh, you know, just trying to find new, uh, tap into, like, new hobbies and things like that. Um, uh, trying something new. Um, you know, I don't really do it for the gram. Um, like, uh, but, uh, uh, have been kind of seeing a lot of trends, whether it's baking or cooking or, uh, foamy coffee or whatever it happens to be. But, um, it's, it's been really interesting to see the kinds of things that people have, uh, taken to, to, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's a coping mechanism. I, I don't know. Uh, but, uh, there, there have been a lot of things that uh, commonalities between, between uh, friends and other people on the internet. Joe, with your experience as an investor and as being even a multi-time founder now, for people <laughs> just considering uh, careers, starting something, investing, whatever, 
I would be curious as to what your opinions are on the differences between being an investor, being a founder, uh, taking those different paths in life in general. Um, I mean, I think, you know, I am of the opinion that sort of the best uh, investors are people who come from, had you know, had spent time on the other side of the table, just because there are a lot of, it's a lot of like having that perspective of uh, the founder journey and the experience and, and, and the challenges, because it can seem, I, I guess, you know, I, I don't know. It can seem easy that like, oh, you know, you could just do this or just do that. Or, um, you know, uh, you know, here's you, you have money or you don't have money and these things can be solved with money. Um, I, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, having that perspective really uh, not only helps with making investment decisions, but also, um, you know, with uh, being helpful as an investor, because, you know, especially these days, like there's no shortage of dry powder uh, in the market. Um, and a lot of it comes down to, uh, you know, the, the helpfulness of the investors uh, to, uh, to, to help the founders, um, you know, be successful. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I think like that's a that's that's something that's super important. And another big difference is, um, you know, one thing that you know really attracted me to to going back to the other side of the table to to becoming a founder again um, is that you know I could go deep on something again. Yeah. Um, you know, as a as an investor, it felt like I was kind of a consultant of sorts um, that would come in and help wherever I could, and then you know check out and go to the next deal. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of check in again, uh, you know, see where I can be helpful, et cetera. Um, and, uh, you know, could never really go super deep. I mean, I, there was always like, you know, uh, portfolio companies that, you know, I'd work with briefly, um, you know, solve one or two problems, you know, help close a sale, et cetera, uh, or, or a new hire or help raise more money. Um, and, 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 you know, after I was done, I'd go on to the next one and, uh, I, 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 there was, there would definitely be companies that I would be like, well, huh? Like if I were to leave this, the, the, the investing side, like I'd love to join this company and, and help them grow because I think like this is super exciting. Um, and how can I go deep? And so, um, that's something that, uh, you know, was really, uh, you know, attractive for me in making that decision, um, to, uh, to, to be a full-time founder again. Um, you know, don't get me wrong, like venture, best job in the world. Um, it, it, uh, uh, you know, at the time I would joke that sort of, you know, you would uh, kind of get paid a lot of money to judge people all day. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, there's certainly more to it than that. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think really for me, the attraction of, of going back to it was, uh, you know, being able to go deep and, and have sort of n not just the, the equity, ownership aspect of this, but really ownership over, um, you know, creating something new, you know, sort of like being a, uh, sort of like a parent, um, where, you know, you gotta keep this thing alive and make sure it gets to college and things like that. Yeah. Each, each successive round and then getting more and more customers and growing the thing. And, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I love it. And, and with this as well, then just a couple more questions before we wrap up. With being a founder now, again, I mean, what do you personally look for or like in investors in terms of, you know, how they actually are helpful for you, uh, hands on, hands off? Like, what do you look for in, for investors? So, um, 
I, I think it depends. Uh, so, you know, having people who are, um, you know, really understand the the founder, uh, you know, journey and experience, as I mentioned previously, uh, is really important to, to me, um, just because it can be easy to, uh, you know, feel like, and, and I've fallen into this before on the other side of the table as well, but, um, you know, be prescriptive about, you know, how to solve problems. Uh, you know, because it seems like that's sort of the MBA answer um, to to some of these things. But uh, there's there's a lot of nuance in in you know the startup experience and the types of problems that people face. Uh, and so you know, having that experience is really important. Also, being able to have like some of those um, you know strategic relationships is really really important too, uh, because it's just um, you know short circuiting uh, and shortcutting. You know, I, I mean, it's kind of like uh, you know, if I were to ever go and, and, you know, look for a job again, it would, I, I wouldn't go through the front door. I wouldn't, you know, uh, necessarily just submit my resume. I, I would leverage the relationships to, you know, become a known quantity. And so having, um, you know, sort of those existing strategic relationships, you know, just helps to get stuff done faster and becomes <laughs> a competitive advantage. So, um, yeah, I mean, you're always looking for those opportunities with investors. Um, also, you know, uh, investors that are sort of just the right mix of, um, you know, being involved and also being hands off is is just it's it's really helpful. You know, folks who, um, you know, are available when when tapped are uh, are are priceless. Um, but you also don't want someone who's you know a full time member of the team per se yeah um, but uh uh yeah i mean you, you just have to realize that when you do take uh, a fund's money you are sort of um getting married to them over the long term so yeah and it reminds me of when i talked to charles hudson from precursor on the show and he was talking about he's, he's very hands-off as an investor and he believes like yeah if they ask for something he'll he'll help but also he's not going to do the job for them because they also need to learn certain things as well. And there's a lot of different opinions on, on how that, that can go in terms of being helpful. But I think in general, it's like the founders are running the show. You know, that's the, the basis of everything. It's like if they want help, you should ask for help. Uh, but otherwise, it, it depends. I guess you can get perspectives from VCs, but in general, like the founders are running the show. So it's something to keep in mind, uh, other founders out there as well. Um, and just to kind of take this to, to the end here, with Mythic Markets, like what is the grand big vision for this company moving forward? So we are, you know, really excited about the um, sort of the the opportunity to build this to to kind of like become sort of the stock market of of all kinds of fandom. Um, you know, it goes beyond just uh, being able to um, invest in IPOs and trade shares in uh, uh, collectibles. I think there's a, a uh, a non-tangible aspect of this as well. And so, you know, areas that we're really exploring right now include things like being able to invest in you know, your favorite esports team or being able to uh, invest in the future of, um, uh, of, of, of fandom collectibles that maybe aren't even collectibles yet. And so, um, you know, I think that there's an opportunity to uh, to to build that and be at the forefront of that, and this is still a new and, and emerging industry that um, uh, you know. I, I think the universe of uh, this kind of stuff, you know, 
could be in the trillions, um, you know, because there are things that we all care about and are maybe, you know, sort of have their own niche. And as more and more people become aware uh, or, or educated on these alternative assets, um, I think it really kind of blows up from there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you'd be most, many people, many people would be shocked that, you know, things like a, a stamp even could be like 40 or $50 million. Like, you know, it's, it seems crazy that these, um, these, these things are so value dense. Um, yeah. And with that too, I mean, it is, it does seem crazy, but at the same time, you know, it has meaning to someone and that's what makes it valuable. I mean, if it has meaning to someone, that's it. It doesn't matter if it's not meaningful for XYZ other person, if it is for this person or certain people, then the value can be really high, even if it is something like a stamp, as you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, so in the case of like a, you know, a stamp even, you know, a lot of it just comes down to um, not just like sort of the importance to pop culture, but uh, and, and importance to a small group of people, but also important to history. And so yeah. Um, yeah, those are the types of things that, you know, as they continue to age and become more important, um, uh, you know, to our history, uh, you know, they sort of become more and more valuable. Um uh, as they get older or become more rare or become more, uh, you know, storied or legendary even. Joe, where can people go to learn more about your company and connect with you as well if they'd like? For sure. Um, so you can go to mythicmarkets.com, um, you know, as a first spot. Uh, you know, I'm also available. Um, I used to be very available, like sort of at events and, and uh, conferences and things like that, but uh, less so these days. But also, you know, anybody can uh, email us at any time and I'm happy to connect with, uh, with folks. Um, I still look for, you know, as many opportunities as possible to, to network because that's where I get a lot of energy. So, um, you know, you can uh, send an email to Mythic Markets and uh, uh, reach me anytime. And one last thing, I'll just give you the chance as you mentioned that. I mean, right now, what are you looking for or any, any ask of the audience that you have uh, right now, Joe? Well, uh, we've got a number of existing drops, including, um, you know, Fantastic Four, uh, number one, uh, which is currently available on Mythic Markets, as well as the uh, original art for uh, the Benelish Hero Magic Card. Um, next, we've got All-Star Comics number eight, which is the first appearance of Wonder Woman. And uh, hopefully you got a chance, uh, you know, the audience has had a chance to watch the uh, uh, the new film that came out on Christmas Day on HBO Max. Um, and that's, uh, we're really excited to, to release that one, uh, especially, but, you know, stay tuned. We've got a lot of really cool stuff coming, uh, including liquidity, um, and, uh, a number of, um, unique, uh, opportunities coming up soon. Joe, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today, man. Justin, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, you can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.